The Governess joins us on this week's How To Be 60 podcast. Anne Hegarty has made her name on the chase, but she's not interested in any other kind of chase. People don't believe me. I'm honestly happiest on my own. Mm -hmm. And I do get women, I get women journalists trying to set me up. You know, (laughs) have have you tried celebs go dating? Have you tried the undateables? I'm like, honestly, seriously, I'm fine. So, greetings, everyone, to the new rebooted, joyful, and playful How to Be 60 podcast, which explores life beyond the Big Six O with me, Kay Adams, and her, Karen McKenzie. Say hello, Karen. Hello. Hello, Karen. (laughs) Yes, all right. Don't be so predictable. we're actually going to talk today about whether or not you should refuse all medical treatment after the age of 75. But don't let that put you off, everybody. It's not going to be that depressing. We're also going to speak to the governess herself, the most successful chaser of all time, Anne Hegarty, uh, who actually, I read in an interview, <laughs> prefers men to women and doesn't particularly like Scottish people. But Christ. we are going to I push on. I read <laughs> We're going to push on regardless. Yeah, yeah. Maybe she'll make an exception. See if our charm can do anything. But it has to be said, a sombre note shrouds the studio today, doesn't it, Karen? It, well, there's quite a few anyway. But what do you mean? In which particular... Ken Bruce! Oh, God, that one I know. But you know what? It's not as if he's left radio completely and gone away in a happy world with his wife. He's still going to be on another radio station. So I'll be twiddling my knobs and um, tuning in. I know, but I mean, I, I'm kind of disappointed because we spoke to him just before Christmas. <gasps> I know, he didn't And I feel kind of hurt. Cheated. I feel hurt. Mm. Well, you as a journalist, you should have been able to eke that out. But I did. I said to him, I did say to them, you know, would you think you'll ever retire, Ken? You know, you're nearly 72. And he just didn't. Well, no, he did say that he would always want to do radio. It didn't matter matter where he did it. It was hospital radio, wherever. So do you think he knew when he spoke to us? Because I I feel a bit cheated. Yeah, I think he did know. Albeit he said, I got... I can remember rightly, I thought he said that he wouldn't be giving in, like he wouldn't be giving in his notice, but, um, you know, you can never tell the way things go. So, I know, I hope it's his choice to go elsewhere. I hope they didn't sort of, you know, they've got a lot of, what am I trying to say? They've got rid of a lot of people recently. Yeah, they're, they're definitely. Some of them I'm quite happy with. Uh, refreshing the whole lineup, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did yeah. miss that one on a Sunday night. I can't remember his name at the moment. Uh, five o'clock. Uh, thank you for that. Yeah, That's know. really helpful. I know, yeah. I know. Um, I think you should throw your hat in the ring. <laughs> no, come on, you're fresh talent. I mean, yes, you're absolutely... fresh un- talent at the age of 63. That's very fresh, isn't well, it? Well, you're completely... My memory's like shit. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember where the hell I'm going in a day. I mean, you're completely unknown. That's good. Um, <laughs> That's fresh. <laughs> you're Scottish. You're a bit doer. You're female. Um oh. And right, so there's a few similarities. Do you know what? I think you do a decent job because the good thing about you is like you wouldn't take the shine off anyone else. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like Zoe Ball well, and, no and Jeremy Bain. Well, there's no competition you keep it that way. <laughs> I'm not going to get it. Ah. No, what I meant is taking the shine off. No, well, that, that's true. Yeah, that is true. Um, no, oh, I, I'm definitely, I'm going to be your agent. I am going to throw your hat in the ring. Karen McKenzie <laughs> is the person to, and also we can get that little romantic thing going that you fancied him and maybe maybe he left because he thought you were going to stalk him. Anyway, I'll come up with some kind of story that I think will really fly. Okay? Oh, well, he's taking Potmaster with him as well, so I'm definitely not uh, Steve. You're going to have to listen to me on the radio now. 
No, 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 no. I'm sure he's on at the same time. It's between 10 and 1. <laughs> a long gig. Right, now listen, here's a moral dilemma for mm-hmm. you today. I decided that we need to go a bit up you know, highbrow, because... Um, well, like with depth. Well, yes, because we've got Anne Hegarty on and she doesn't want our usual shit and flim-flam. So um, I have dug out a moral dilemma. So this is a guy called Zeke Emanuel, who is a medical advisor to the US government, highly mm. qualified, highly respected person. Uh, and he wrote this really interesting article, which is that he will refuse all medical interventions. Now, we're talking... Vaccines, antibiotics, you know, statins. I mean, obviously you think of chemotherapy, but any medication after the age of 75. And I'm not just bringing this up because Ken Bruce is 72 and I'm a bit pissed off at him. Please, if you're listening, Ken, there's nothing personal in here. You're in your seventh decade. (laughs) Shut up, I'm a long way from that. Um, No, but it was a really interesting article because he said, right, okay, you could probably, with his sort of socioeconomic class, he could probably expect to live till he was 85. Mm-hmm. But 75 to 85 is decline. Um, and you're just managing decline largely. So what he says is, rather than try and prolong the agony mm-hmm. of that last 10 years, which is probably going to be pretty shit, once you get to 75, just don't take any additional medication to prolong your life and just take what comes. I thought that is really interesting. It's a hard gig, isn't it? What do you think? 75 is not that far away. Well, it's not. That's the thing. That's the thing know. at this age. I know. It's and closer it, for you than me, of course. Not that close. Well, much. it is. Well, yeah, come on, come on, come on. It's 12 years away for you. Yeah. 12 years. 12 years. And, okay, I think we both keep ourselves fit. But then you don't know what kind round the corner. If you break your hip, but you're not going to at 74. Yeah, well, well he says that he would deny saying, all no. medical intervention. Um, you know, he would just let nature take its course. Um, and he's somebody who keeps himself fit. I was just going to say, has he been healthy so far? Yeah, so we're doing all of that. We're exercising, we're trying to look after our weight, we're not drinking too much alcohol, we're not smoking, we're having lots of sex, because we know that's good for our health. Sorry, Anne. Um, <laughs> I went lowbrow again. Well, and and yet, you know, you get... Say pneumonia at the age of 76, you're going to need an intervention or the chances are it will kill you. And he says he wouldn't have it. I think it's such an interesting idea. Does he think the the, the world is overpopulated? No, 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 he just means... I know he's talking about himself. No, but that is what he's he's talking about because he says the world is full of very elderly people Mm -hmm. that we keep alive for what reason. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was speaking to a friend of mine... um, you know, I shouldn't say so much, but anyway, her her mum is really very elderly, nearly 90, has had dementia, sadly, for the last 15 years and fairly advanced. And so the last 10 years have just been, mm-hmm. you know, basically mm-hmm. sitting in a bed, not recognising anyone, very, very poor quality of life. What for? I know. Ex- well, Key, the very same thing happened. I was walking yesterday in Pollock Park, bumped into a neighbour, uh, and he said his mother and father both still living at home. They're both in their nineties, ninety-four. Uh, both have dementia, and they're both still living at home in their own home. And you just think, as I walked away, I was saying to my other friend, "God, why would you? Mm. That is just, it's just what joy." Is there for anybody there? Well, the thing is, people can live with dementia with a reasonable quality. I think it's when it advances to a degree that there is zero quality, then that it does become something. And does it make you... I was thinking, does that make me think I want a living will? Well, I just finished Mayflies. Oh, did you? Yeah, Yeah. and and it's sad, but it's 
you got it. It makes you think. Well, no, he he actually went to Dignitas or Nakovit. Oh, so right, that was, sorry. That was euthanasia. But that's what this guy is saying, that he thinks euthanasia morally is just far too tricky. Um, really? Because you're going to have to involve other people in bringing your life to an end, etc. So what he likes about his plan is the decision is his, that from a certain stage he will refuse any medical interventions. And so, you know, he might make it to 77, but he ain't going to make it to 87. Can I just say, what's a living will then? Um, well, I mean, I don't know whether that even works in... Uh, in law, but I think you can say in the event of X, Y, and Z, I don't want interventions. I mean, you, yeah, that probably would work for him. Yeah, yeah, that probably would. Mm. I don't think you can require somebody to bump you off. Oh, Do you no, know what I mean? Illegal. You'd have to go over to Switzerland. Again. You can't be actively yeah, bumped yeah, off, no. but I mean, you probably could say, mm. right, okay, I don't want to have any interventions. Yeah. So there you go. That was my attempt to take things a little bit. Wow, up. It's um, certainly. And it's quite interesting good. because Nathan, our producer, is sitting there and um, his shoulders have crumpled, his head is down. <laughs> And he's clearly finding it quite difficult. But anyway, I'm keen to hear what Anne's... He can't relate to anybody over 50, for God's sake. No, he can't. He's only 32. Um, Because Anne's got a very analytical brain, so I'm interested to hear what she thinks. I'm scared already. You should remember of Mensa, you know. Yeah. Do you know that? I I mean, does that that worry you? Yeah. Does it? Oh, do you know, what are those box games that came out at Christmas time? There was the... um, Oh God! I'm going down the wrong road again. This is and not. This is not it's, good. It's like with the little cheeses, <laughs> and people say, "Oh, you'll get this one. You'll definitely get this one." No, no, no. You, and Trivial you pursuit. To, you have to pretend it's the answers on the tip of your tongue. <laughs> it's not. It's a hell. It's nowhere. There was the geography. There was the history. The game with the, the cheeses. I don't know if I could remember. <laughs> Even when they brought out the baby boomer, that was a bit more. But no, I didn't get that one either. Entertainment was the nearest I got. Are you intimidated by very clever people? I am, Kay. Are you? Yes. Are you? Intimidated? Intimidated by me? No, Kate. I said I'm intimidated by very intelligent people. <laughs> oh, well. Um, right, shall we have some emails and then talk yes, to Anne? Yes, yes. You're yes. going to work yourself like up emails. to Anne. You like the I'll emails. I'll let you, because um, I haven't got okay. them printed out. I noticed, well, I noticed that one of your friends had said, why can't I read an email? But you've kind of... Yeah, we've forgotten you've that. You've taken that, that, that was That was last year. That was very 2022. I've moved on since then. Um, the emails, I have to say, are taking a very worrying turn. This is from Susan. Hi, just love your podcast, How to Be 60. Have always been a fan of Kay, but now totally love Karen. <laughs> also totally love Jigsaws. <laughs> I think it's totally unfair that Karen is not even mentioned in the cover when it would not be the same or as funny without her. Oh my God, listen, I don't even know any Susan, so I promise you I didn't put this Susan up to it. And then Isn't there's another nice? one. Oh, I love and then Susan. there's Thank another one. getting in touch. From it's Maggie. Fine. Dear Karen and Kay, yes, Karen is getting prime position because her stories make me laugh so much. <laughs> and then yours, Kay. <laughs> and I'm sure I would love Drivel. her oat cakes, elderflower, cordial and tablet um she's only started listening this year the year that she turned 60 it actually happened today we were in the, we were doing this the what well, my radio program together mm. of which you yes. have a tiny slot once I a do. week i have a nice court of karen slot on a yeah, Wednesday morning and our guest came in and <laughs> she said oh i'm so excited i'm so excited to meet karen I know, I was mortified. <laughs> I was really embarrassed. I was kind of like, oh my God. I'm standing there I'm like a, a bloody lemon. Flaming, yeah. <laughs> what people do not realise is that I am Frankenstein and you are the monster. <laughs> I have created you. <laughs> Excuse me. The monsters that we create in television 
in the BBC, but this is sitting it, next to one. This is what is going to happen. I have given you this opportunity on this podcast, wouldn't and now great? you're going to get bloody Ken oh, Bruce's slot on radio too. That'd be great to make some money at long last. That, that, that would be lovely. I can tell you what I'm predicting. It's going to happen here, folks. I'm going to get the sack, and she is going to get Ken Bruce's job on radio <laughs> too. This is what's going to happen. I'll give you a wee mention if that happens. Oh, We've got another. Um, this is Jackie. Been listening to the podcast since the start, coincided with me retiring at 63 and then wondering if I'd done the right thing. I found the discussions really thought-provoking and I've come to the conclusion that I have done the right thing. The only thing is, now we were worried about this because we've changed the graphic, we've changed the studio, we've introduced adverts because we uh-huh. need to pay the money and uh-huh. Karen doesn't do anything and I finance <laughs> the whole thing. Um, <laughs> I but might add I don't get any money either. We were worried about the Love. title music. Um, she says, I really don't like the title music. Oh, sorry. Now, I did mention that last week that a few people didn't like she it. She says, it sounds a bit dreary to me and right. it reflects Kay's fear of 60. Now that yes. she's got over that landmark, hopefully it needs to be something more uplifting. We are a long time dead. And then she says, resinking nipples. What a beautiful segue that is, isn't it? Yes. Um, after breastfeeding three children and the ageing process, they have disappeared yes. south, never to be seen again. We can't all be like you two with your pert bosoms. Look forward to more podcasts, the banter, and a new tune. It's only me that's got the pert nipples, though. Yeah, no, mine are going south as well. Um, so, Jackie, don't you worry about it, you and me yes. both. Um, I think the tune definitely needs to go out to public consultation. Oh, yes, and then what would it be? Yeah, yeah, well, well, clearly I've got no seeing at all. None whatsoever. No. Um, podcast at htb60.com. Do we need a new theme tune? And we will speak to Anne straight after. Yeah, I love this. Oh, we have Anne with us. Hi, Anne. Um, We couldn't play Anne the tune, could we? Absolutely. What do you think? You don't look too impressed, that no. has to be said. Um, let's say it's perhaps not quite my sort of thing. <laughs> That's almost diplomatic. But I'm sure it's very good of its kind. <laughs> very diplomatic. Thank you very much indeed. So, how does it feel to be 64, Anne? Um, it feels... Um, I, I always tend to think of myself as about a year older than I am. <gasps> So You've got to certainly, stop that, certainly, no, no, no. I mean, I think it's a healthy thing. It's me embracing, you know, being an old, old hack. Um, <laughs> and, uh, by, about the turn of the year, I start, when people say to me, how old are you? I tend to start saying, I'll be 65 in summer, <gasps> rather than I am 64. I do exactly so the same I, thing. Well, it's it means, funny. Well, it means that, you know, I get used to the idea of being nearly 65, which, you know, I think is okay. I'm oh. cool, I'm cool with that. God, that's funny because uh, last week we were speaking to Robson Green. He's 58 and he was rounding himself up to 60 and I was chastising him for that. I said, no, 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 Robson, cling on to your 58. So um, so you're very relaxed about the ageing process then, are you? Um, yeah, pretty much. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I didn't particularly like being young uh, and I've, you know, achieved success in my 50s and 60s. So you know, yes, I'm sort of thinking, yeah, this is this is a good mm-hmm. this is a good time for me to be alive, mm-hmm. as opposed to when I was young and miserable. That you know, it's so interesting that you say that because obviously, I mean, we jotted down some notes before we we're speaking to you, and I was gonna <laughs> I was gonna float that with you, is that. <laughs> 
Do you feel that you kind of work better as an older person because you do have a reputation for being straight talking? I don't know whether that's just the telly or whether that's you. Um, but as a younger female, it's kind of difficult to be that because people don't want straight talking mm-hmm. young women, do they? Yeah, I mean, when I was young, I was quite, uh, you know, I'd have some quite strong opinions, but I learned to shut up about them. Uh, not necessarily because women had to shut up about more, even because young women had to, but because I had to. Um, I think, you know, it's um, it's the autism thing as much as anything else. You know, you're constantly saying something wrong. Um, but, um, yes, I mean, I do, I do rather identify with the elderly aunt in the last uh, Harry Potter book who says, you there, give me your chair, I'm 107. <laughs> um, I'm like, yes, I want to be you. <laughs> Um, what your autism diagnosis came what in your early forties? Uh, mid forties. Let me think. I was oh golly, uh, two thousand and five. So I was about forty-seven, forty-six. Can't remember something like that. Right. And, and how did it come about? Um, I I just I don't know. I saw something on TV that seemed to ring a bell with me, and I started reading about it. Um, and suddenly it sort of felt like a whole load of locks clicking into place. Um, you know, a whole load of um, what appeared to be unconnected symptoms. And all they had in common was they were all on the list of symptoms and they were all things that I do now or did as a child and things that nobody could ever explain. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, ah, this, you know, this is either this is the most massive coincidence or else I'm seriously onto something here. And then I started reading books written by autistic people about their lives and about their experiences. And I thought, this is really, really familiar to me. And did that feel good that it was familiar? or? Yeah, it did. Um, just, you know, to have a bit of an explanation, to have... Um, to realize that there were people who, if I read their life stories, you know, they actually might have some useful things to say. What, what does it mean to you to be autistic? Because we talk about autism as if it is one thing, and clearly it's a different experience for for every individual. Yeah, I, I'm not someone who believes in identifying. You know, what do you identify as? I identify as someone who doesn't really identify. Um, so it's just simply, you know, yes, I have this, this syndrome or this condition, um, and it it explains some things about my personality, um, but I tend to think, you know, I shouldn't be, don't always assume that everything is about me being autistic. Sometimes everything is about me being obnoxious, and sometimes, <laughs> that, sometimes that's deliberate. You know, you shouldn't sort of, you should, don't let me get away with too much stuff, really. Um, I'm inclined to think people sometimes do. I, I did I did read that actually where you did ponder the line between <laughs> autistic and obnoxious and I did think that was uh, that was quite mm. funny. Um, do, do you enjoy kind of I don't mean challenging people, but I don't know. You, because of the telly, you have this kind of scary reputation, don't you? And we all know that television is a lot of puff and bluster, and you're called the governess, yeah. and you're dressed like you know Googie Withers from within these walls, which I loved actually. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favourite things. And um, do, do you kind of like inhabiting that character? I do. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I did base her partly on my grandmother, the one I was talking about. So I suppose she has been good for something. Uh, and also on one of my aunts, who I think um, identified strongly with, with her own mother. Um, so there was a little bit of that in there. Um, but um, someone has described me as reminding them of Professor McGonagall. And I sort of think, you know, yeah, actually that, yes, 
I quite like the idea of being Professor McGonagall. <laughs> and so what is the line between the governess and Anne? Um, I, in, in my real life, um, I do try, I actually do try to cultivate a reputation to be easy to work with, for, for not being a diva. Um, you know, I, I've been known to, if I'm meeting, if I'm going to be doing a panto and I'm meeting the producers for the first time, I say, you know, I sometimes say to them, please, please be aware I'm not high maintenance. Mm. So, uh, you know, I will... It's amazing how far you can get with a little bit of talent and a reputation for being a good sport. Mm, gorgeous. Um, and right. I, I, yeah, and I try to be, you know, a good sport and not be difficult. Did you ever imagine as a younger woman that you'd be in panto? Hmm. Um, I, I, it's awful. I've said this before. I always, I always did want to be famous. I wasn't quite sure what I would be famous at. Um, but I always thought, would that be nice? And I did, I remember doing the, the school play, and I was in a, a few school plays, um, certainly in primary school, um, and I remember um, doing a bit um, that I hadn't realised was funny, and the audience laughed, and I was like, whoa, I like that sound, <laughs> do that again. Um, so yes, I was sort of secretly, you know, wanted to, to act or something like that, but, um, you know, I, I mean... I was always aware, you know, most people don't make a living at acting and let's not be silly, you know, let's try and do something moderately sensible. So I didn't pursue it. So what did you do then? What was the life plan then? Um, well, I did think that I would quite like to be a famous writer. Um, I mean, I was never actually a very good writer. and Certainly I wasn't that great at writing stories. But I was, see, my, my um, grandfather, the Scottish grandfather, was a publisher. Um, and, uh, so I grew up in a house full of books. Um, and so I thought, well, I'll try and be a journalist. You know, that, that's writing for a living. So I did that for about 10 years. And then I realized that, um, I didn't like being edited. I thought I'd actually rather be the one doing the editing. And I moved into, um, I moved into book publishing and, um, became a proofreader and copy editor. And did that for about 20 years. So I've sort of always worked with words one way or another. And of course, being a, a proofreader, you do actually, you know, read an awful lot of books. So you take in an awful lot of knowledge without perhaps realising you're doing it. Hmm. That, I mean, that was pre your diagnosis. Was, was that a happy time in your life? Um, well, the thing is, I do think that autism made me a very good proofreader because I was terrifically thorough. I mean, I, I could spot things other people couldn't spot. Um, and I think that that's very much an autistic trait. Um, so it's, it's actually an excellent job for a proofreader. The, the problem was simply that um, if you're a proofreader, you're virtually always uh, freelance. Mm. And I struggled with just simply the sheer paperwork of being self-employed. Um, I mean, it's brilliant that I've now got, uh, you know, I've now got an agent um, whose son is my accountant, um, and uh, we've got a lawyer on call, and it's like I never have to figure this stuff out by myself anymore. The, uh, you did struggle to, I mean, you did get to a point, didn't you, where you were really struggling with organising those elements of your life? Yeah, it was about 15 years ago um, that um, I opened and I answered the door, and it was a bailiff, and while I was talking to him, another bailiff came along. Um, so uh, <laughs> I said, do you two know each other? Um, but um, yeah, um, things began to sort themselves out before I got the job on the chase, but I can't tell you how much that helped. 
I really, really can't. Um, and yes, I mean, that obviously that has turned everything upside down. It's fantastic. So, but I mean, going back to the bailiffs, because <laughs> you had let stuff go, admin go? Yeah, um, because I, I was worrying so much about um, the problem of there not being enough money um, that I was spending more time worrying than I was actually mm. getting on with the work. And then, um, you know, the client base was falling off because you don't want to hire a proofreader that just doesn't do the job. Mm. Um, and uh, everything was kind of spiraling. Um, and I was trying to get help from um, local sort of, you know, um, debt help um, organizations. Um, and some were more helpful than others. Um, but um, it, it did help that... Um, I, I live in a housing association flat. I own half of it and um, rent the other half. Uh, and I got behind on the rent. And uh, a woman from the housing association came and knocked on the door, and, door, and she just kind of came straight in. I don't remember even saying, do come in. She sort of walked across this drift of envelopes on the floor. And she said, right, we will fix this. Don't worry. Um, and she got this fantastic social worker called Jeff, um, to um, come and, and sort things out. And he opened and read the mail and he phoned, you know, utilities companies and he helped me fill in um, um, application forms for, um, for benefits. And he also helped to get me an appointment um, to have myself um, registered disabled with the council, um, which means if you can do that, then um, you get more benefits and you got what in those days is called disability living allowance. So um, that kind of took all the heat off, most of the heat off. And then I managed to kind of cope. Um, and, and then the Jeff came along. Mm. I mean, Jeff does sound like a lifesaver. At any point, did He's you think brilliant. this, uh, my family, that, that you'd even think about going to your family for help? Or friends? Um, I, there was a point where I, 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 what we would now call crowdfunded um, to pay my council tax. Um, and uh, I just sort of asked a bunch of people, you know, could each of you sort of give me 100 quid and I will let you have it back within the next year. It actually took about 18 months, I think. Um, and uh, most people were great. Um, uh, one person was a bit, one person scolded me um, and has basically not been in touch since. But she did lend me the money and I did let her have it back. But what about, like, personal relationships? Um, see, I really am... People don't believe me. I'm honestly happiest on my own. Mm -hmm. And I do get women... I get women journalists trying to set me up. You know, <laughs> have, have you tried celebs go dating? Have you tried the undateables? I'm like, honestly, seriously, I'm fine. Really, you know, I have, tr listen, my longest relationship lasted four months. And that was only because I lived in Manchester and he lived in Brighton. Um, so it just, it doesn't work for me. It's, it's, it just, it doesn't really. I can, I can sort things out much better if I'm just on my own. I am one of the few people who absolutely loved lockdown because lockdown just simply mm. meant everything went quiet and my brain kind of slowed down. And then I could do the slow thinking that I need to do to get things sorted out. Yeah. And I got so much stuff unraveled in lockdown that had been winding me up for a really long time. Um, and just, you know, if I'm left alone for long enough to just sort things out, then I sort things out. 
Mm. And I'm much happier. Well, I mean, it's an absolutely perfectly legitimate choice, so neither Karen and I are going to try and set you up. But can I say, <laughs> you, I mean, <laughs> obviously when you are, I mean, particularly when you're younger, there is this <laughs> pressure from everywhere, societal pressure, family pressure, everywhere pressure, to be with somebody. I mean, did yeah. you feel that? Well, I did. I mean, I, I felt myself to be under that. I, I felt that I was putting myself under that pressure. Um, I, I think a problem I always had, I, I probably still, certainly I had it when I was younger, was just simply missing signals. Um, and, uh, you know, thinking back and thinking, hang on a minute, I think he may actually have been trying to chat me up. Mm. And I didn't realize it. Mm. Um, and, you know, just simply being very obtuse about that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, I used to be like, why aren't men interested in me? And I'm, I'm now sort of like, hang on, they were, you just didn't recognize it. You didn't know what you were looking for. Um, so yeah, there's an element of that. But even when I, once I started understanding, you know, what to look for, I found myself thinking, you know, I, I do, I like men, but I just simply, I want an enormous amount of time alone and more time alone, I think, than, than they feel comfortable with. Mm. I mean, you know, we we have this romantic idea, don't we, that everyone's got their soulmate, etc. But we also know that, you know, the world is littered with people damaged by relationships which have been absolutely yeah. shit. <laughs> don't yeah. So, I um, mean, yes, I mean, is there an I, element I always, of self-preservation? Yeah, I mean, I always used to, I used to mind not having children. Uh, honestly, now I feel like a, like I dodged a bullet. <laughs> I feel like, you know, the two things that seem to cost people most money, which is their families and their holidays, and they're two things I don't do. So, uh, you know, I, I've actually, you know, I've got, I'm okay for disposable income, shall we say. I'll bet. <laughs> I'm not really an expensive person. Uh, and, uh, and that's nice, you know, I'm, I'm sort of uncomfortable, as it were. So, Aunt, we, we, you wouldn't take yourself off on holiday on your own? That wouldn't even... Not really. I, I I tried doing that, and I just thought, why am I here? Why am I not home? You know, I, I, I don't I don't really need to be here. Um, I if I travel, it's because someone else is paying me to travel. Uh, you know, I've been to some nice places, mm-hmm. um, but it's always you know to do something purposeful. Um, and I'm not really a sightseer. When I was a child, my mother my mother was a really a frustrated history teacher. She was a social worker, but I think what she would like to have done was history teaching. Um, And uh, she used to drag me around uh, castles and churches and stately homes. And the thing is, I was fascinated. I still am fascinated by history, but how I learned my history is books. I mean, I can remember that she she took me to Versailles. We went to Paris once for a weekend, and she took me to Versailles. I can remember almost nothing about Versailles, but what I can remember is the guidebook that I picked up and poured over and the pictures in my mind from the guidebook. Um, but I have very little sort of actual um, mental impression from having been there myself. So what does give you pleasure, apart from books? Reading, yes. Um, uh, books is obviously one. Um, nice weather. I'm trying to, this year, what I, I'd like to sort of try and do more fun things like go to the theatre, watch more TV. I'm terribly bad at watching TV. And just kind of give myself permission to actually... What I've been doing ever since I started on The Chase, um, 
I I know that instinctively I have this tendency to this is an autistic thing. You develop what's called a perseveration. You suddenly get obsessed with something and you just kind of go down a rabbit hole and you really can't do anything else. You know, I've been known to stay up all night reading websites about things that fascinate me. And when I started on the chest, I thought, you know what, I can't really do this anymore because I need to, you know, I need to be available. I need to be able to do things rather than sleeping all day because I stayed up all night reading a website. Um, so I've kind of avoided things that I'm afraid I might get obsessed with. And it feels to me like maybe I could kind of push the boat out a little and actually do a little bit more of that. Um, actually allow myself to get a bit more fascinated by things. Mm. So how, I mean, given that you've described yourself as, as a sort of naturally quite, not solitary person, but somebody who's very comfortable in, in their own company and, and likes space, yeah. how do you deal with the world of television showbiz? Um, well, that's different. I mean, um, I like, how should I put this? It's kind of easier when you're famous. <laughs> people will sort of give you a bit of space anyway, you see what I mean. Mm. Um, and people know who you are and you don't need to introduce yourself so much. Um, so simply, you know, socialize is just a little bit easier because people are pleased to see you. Um, so so that's nice. And I I find as long as I can sort of go home and shut the door on everyone, then then that's okay. Are you happy where you are in your life now? I am actually. I mean, I'm I'm um, between about the middle of 2017 and when lockdown came in. I was I was sort of happy because I was accomplishing an enormous amount, but actually I felt I felt kind of dead um, because I was expending so much energy simply on packing myself up, traveling down, uh, you know, checking into hotels, checking out of hotels, and just all of that. There was. So much of that, it was occupying so much of my brain that I couldn't enjoy myself very much. I remember in early 2018 going to take myself to the theatre in Manchester and it was uh, an all-black production of Guys and Dolls. And I thought, you know, this is a wonderful musical. I think I'm really going to enjoy this. And I sat there, most of it, just sort of thinking, yeah. And there was nothing wrong with it. There was nothing at all wrong with the show. It was me. I was like, I've lost my capacity to enjoy myself because my brain was just so full of things. Uh, and then when lockdown came in and I was just able to calm things down a bit um, and sort of get myself more organised and more sorted. And yes, I've been a lot happier since then. So at 64, Anne, dare I say, you've only got 11 years till you're 75 to take you back yeah. to our big dilemma at the beginning. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's nonsense. I think I will always, you know, march in there and demand medical treatment if I want. I, I am quite proud of, you know, I, I'm, I'm fat and I'm not fit, but I am healthy. Um, I've, I've just got over the first cold that I've had since summer 2021. Um, I had COVID last March, but it's so mild. My cold's tend to be mild. I don't bother the doctor. I, I can't remember the last time that I went to the doctor. Uh, it was about a year ago, and it was for a med check. Um, and that's basically it. I'm not a burden on the health service. I'm quite proud of that. But you will keep going for as long as they've got stuff to give you to keep you going, will you? Oh, absolutely, yes. Why not? <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I, I deserved too. it. <laughs> <laughs> You've earned it, you have. Um, yeah. 
Listen, we uh, can we play our little game of Big Six O Bingo? So we have got um, 50 questions, um, oh, and we'll just pull out the numbers um, at random and, uh, okay. and throw these at you. So um, it is number... 16. 16. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read this. Oh, yeah. What are you most proud of, Anne? Uh, I think I'm most proud of, of being the governess on the chase mm-hmm. uh, and of the fact that, that people like me, mm-hmm. um, basically. So, I mean, uh, sorry, okay, I was just going to ask you something. You know how, I mean, clearly from where you were 20 years ago, right, and you're now making a vast amount of money, I'm sure. What, what are you doing with your money? If you don't like travel, I'm thinking, um, well, how are you enjoying it? Uh, it's mostly sitting in the bank. I, I, I like, you know, pondering the fact that it's sitting in the bank. I like counting it. Out. <laughs> um, yeah, rolling around in, in bathfuls of money. Um, I. You got a decent let me see. I, I, I buy, I buy clothes. Um, I buy stupid amounts of clothes. I'm actually sort of trying to sort out my wardrobe, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to sort of wear more of the things that I bought. Um, I'm actually wearing a jumper now that, that um, I hadn't been in the habit of wearing before. I've sort of noticed how many woolies I've got, thinking, right, let's start wearing these woolies. It's very cold at the moment. Can I ask a question before you go on with your next uh, bingo number? You know you were saying okay. that you're spending money on clothes, Anne. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, it's quite interesting because a lot of people, as they get older have less interest in their physical expe- uh, appearance than they did when they were younger. Are you the reverse of that? Well, the thing is, when I was younger, nobody ever invited me to red carpet events. Mm. Uh, and, you know, now I get invited and I, I um, you know, and there are many press photographers there. And I, I remember one occasion where I was on the worst dress list. Oh. Uh, and that was... That We've was all been there, Anne. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm like, OK, I don't actually wear those shoes anymore. Um, but not, that's not why. It's just I've got better shoes. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, you know, you like to... Um, I, I've got some sort of particularly nice, you know, things covered in sequins and so on. And uh, and you like to sort of, you know, give those... Uh, I, I tend to think I have probably more red carpet dresses than I'm likely to get invited to red carpet events. <laughs> so, again, you know, this is me trying to stop buying them so much and yes. start sort of actually putting them out and saying, right, what am I going to wear to what? Uh, you're going to yes. have to get into vintage, I think. That's going to be it, Anne. Oh, quite like <clears> that. <throat> what size are your feet, Anne? <laughs> Not that that's relative um, to anything or relative. My, my feet are uh, seven uh, triple E. They're very wide. Oh, my God, they are, um, aren't they? So, uh, yeah, but, um, but I've got some nice little kitten heels from... Very where nice. did I get them from? Uh, I think they're from Marisota. Um nice. And uh, they're actually... They're, they're comfortable enough to walk in and I can drive in them. Ooh, um, very good. So, uh, so I like those. Shall we have another big thing? Indeed. Six. Six. Right, hold on, just two ticks. Oh, well, I think we know this. 16 or 60, Anne. What age would you prefer to be, 16 or 60? Uh, oh, 60. Yeah. Um, definitely. I mean, I'm trying to remember what it was like when I was 16. Uh, it was 1974. Um, I passed some O-levels. So, you know, that was okay. Um, I went to the seaside for summer. Uh, and uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it was okay, but mm. yeah, I definitely rolled the 60. Yeah, and then you still had to go through all the rest of it, so 60's good. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, so, I mean, like, you weren't, like, a happy, happy teenager then? Um, I, I was a rather baffled teenager, um, trying to figure out why everybody else seemed to understand things that I didn't understand. Right, yeah, right. yeah. All right, take care, yeah. Anne. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, she was really honest there, Anne, wasn't she? I mean, she yeah. has found the person that she yep. is, mm-hmm. and she is. She sounds happy with that. She's certainly happier now than she was earlier. She's made that perfectly clear, and it's, it's great. Yeah, yeah. Happier on her own as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, well... well Next week, uh, Denzi Squelch is with us, as yeah. I love to call her. Why Denise is she called Denzi Squelch? I don't know why that started. Um, but she's your nickname for her? Yeah, she calls me Tweedy Knickers. I can um, understand that. Yes, thank you. Uh, and I call her Denzi Squelch. But uh, it is, of course, uh, Denise Welsh who will be joining us uh, next week. I'm very um, excited about that, actually. That'll be good. Yes. Um, and just another little reminder to people that we have decided, probably against our better <laughs> judgment, to do another live show. Um, and this will be in Glasgow this time at yeah. Oran Moore. So it's part of the Glasgow International Comedy Festival. Don't know how he's locked <laughs> that one. How did we get in <laughs> God knows. They've made a mistake. Well, maybe we shouldn't talk about it um i think it is march the 21st um and tickets are available from the glasgow comedy festival website should you be interested i think we've sold some i think have we i think we're your family i think we're into double figures Right, well, mm-hmm. see yeah. you there. Yeah. Oh, we're into. Oh, wait a minute. You better hurry up, folks, because I think we're into um, treble figures. No. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Is that including the crew? Yeah. Including the crew. I better get booking a guest. All right, okay. Get anyway, Dentist Squelch next week, everyone. Cheerie.